This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. I'm Rich Bradbury. Welcome to Matt Splained today. I feel like I need to adopt some kind of deep and meaningful voice for the beginning of this show, but I already have one of those. So, um, the search for the soul of man, one man, Matt Armitage, who is renowned for having the pulsing, flashing heart of an evil robot. But it's other bots we're talking about today. The bots changing search forever. Hi, Matt. Hey, Richard. Um, I'd just like to uh, say to, to everyone out there, um, I very much enjoyed as Richard Pless pressed record for today. He had a good beard scratch before he settled into the, <laughs> the microphone. Um, but um, thank you. Um, yeah, as, I, as I've said before, I think um, Craftworks Man Machine is the human archetype that I aspire to. So Evil Robot, yeah, I'm good with that. Mm. Um, and yes, we are on the bots today. Um, I still don't have access to micro Microsoft's new Bingbot, and I'm really hoping Bingbot takes off. Mm. Um, either the Bingbot doesn't know who I am, or alternatively, it does. Uh, whichever, you know, <laughs> my name's not down yet, so I haven't gotten in. Um, we have talked about bots a lot recently. That's a lot of bots. Um, but mostly it's been from this kind of quite macro perspective, you know, how they're likely to change or influence the behavior of society as a whole. And we've looked at some of the specific use cases, like, for example, in the workplace, uh, which I think is also a topic that we're going to be looking at in this morning's Enterprise BizBite. So there you go. Look at me linking uh, ideas like an actual professional. There you um, go. Well done. Thank you. Um, so today, uh, as you said, we're focusing on search, but also on content generation. And I know that doesn't sound like the most interesting topic, but think how much time we spend every day using search engines to find information and content. And this kind of adds to the future of search episode that we did last year. Uh, that's episode 203, if anyone wants to go back and reference that, where we also talked about AI a little bit, but a lot more about voice computing. Mm. So yes, I know chat boy, chatbots and voice computing are my current show obsessions. I don't know why you think they could be your current obsessions. I think you've got a wonderful voice, man. <laughs> you know? Uh, thank you for, for, for doing that in that flat monotone. If that's supposed to be me, I, I think I'm going to wrap no. this headphone cord around my neck right now and never appear on air again. Now, I, I know we, um, we know a lot of the, of the big tech companies are working on these um, AI chat systems. Uh, so why are we focusing on search? Well, I know I've made fun of Bing a lot over the years. You know, people Google, so why would we Bing? But in the process of trying to test out the Bing bot, I've actually been using Bing as a search engine. And I have to say, I do quite like it. Mm. The results are often quite different to, to Google, which is interesting. Uh, one of the reasons for that is probably because Bing hasn't had 20 years of getting used to my echo chamber of ideas. Mm. So it does seem to take me to um, a lot of sites that 
you know, I don't necessarily automatically go to. It right. does also seem to take me more often to sites that are linked to Microsoft, especially for things like news stories. Um, again, is that because it doesn't know my preferences like Google, which will automatically show me, you know, The Guardian, The New York Times, CNN, Reuters, that kind of thing? Uh, or is it something that's just baked into the system? I really don't know because, you know, I'm just a basic binger. And, oh, good uh, God. And if any ad agency wants to use that for a com- campaign, I hereby claim my credit and my royalty. Basic binger. <laughs> uh, we know that Google is also working on chat systems, which will presumably integrate into its own search engines. Uh, Facebook, Baidu in China, all sorts of companies are working on similar technologies. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that doesn't really answer your question because this is more of what <clears throat> than what. Why? So mm. why search? Well, search is fantastic, but it's also a bit rubbish. You know, when you search for something, you don't get an answer. Sure, you know, you can type in sums, you can ask it to do numerical conversions, or ask what time or temperature it is in Toronto. Why Toronto? Because of my addiction to alliteration, there, there's more of it. Uh, you can have uh, time and temperature in, in Tokyo if you prefer, although Tokyo oh is only an hour ahead of Malaysia, so that's kind of a boring example. Um, I could have chosen Tucson. Should I have chosen Tashkent? Anyway, um, search engines are usually the start of our search for information. Most queries, as I said, don't give you a direct answer. Uh, mm-hmm. Google has started to offer little summaries over the last sort of year or two, but by and large, search hasn't really progressed in form that much since we started using it about 20 years ago. You yeah. know, don't don't get me wrong, you know, it's progressed a lot in terms of the accuracy, in terms of the indexing. But when you search for something, you're given a list of results. That's something that hasn't changed. And those results are ranked by, well, we don't really know how or why they're ranked a lot of the time. Um, So like a lot of people, the place I generally go from those search results is Wikipedia. Right. Um, Yeah. yeah, If it's, uh, if it's, you know, a more general query, I'll end up at Wikipedia. But ideally, your search for information should be an endpoint rather than a start. I mean, I think I get it, um, but, but explain that a little bit more. Okay, I'm going to be as English as I can here. Uh-huh. So um, where has the best fish and chips in Kuala Lumpur? Yeah, you see, that's a very difficult decision that you're asking a fellow Englishman because I have multiple options. Okay, given where you are currently recording, what mm. is the best fish and chips within two kilometres of where you are? Uh, that would... That would be S and L or S and I rather in Bangsa right here. There you right. go. I've just given a free plug to S and I. Thank you very much. Free cheer, fish and chips for me, please. Yes. There you go. Easy, right? Not everyone's going to agree with you. I happen to like the ones at SIDS. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what happens if you try to do that same search in Google? Now, I did that for research purposes for this episode. <laughs> um, I get a list of places selling chips that are ranked by Google's users. And then I get a bunch of articles and blog posts rounding up the best fish and chip restaurants in the area. So you see the difference. When I asked you the question, I got a fairly simple answer. Mm. Um, It might be an objective answer. It might be an answer that not everyone agrees with. But with a search engine, I get 
you know, this, this vast trove of user reviews and links to articles. With you, when I asked the question, my search was at an end. With Google, the search was only the beginning. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. equipped gotcha. with AI and chatbots, search comes closer to being that immediate endpoint because instead of a bunch of results, you can get a spot-generated results uh, result tailored to your requests. So I imagine uh, that a lot of our listeners have played around with at least one of the chat systems that are out there. Uh, probably chat GPT, that seems to be the one that most people have used, which was one of the reasons I'd hoped to be binging by now so that I could also show direct examples from something that's integrated into a search engine. Wait, we, we, we're verbing bing now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally going to be binging from now on. Um, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> now, as I'm, as I'm cheesy, so obviously I had to go back to chat GPT here. Uh, being cheesy, I asked chat GPT to tell me the world's funniest joke. Now, chat GPT has been programmed not to offer absolutes or opinions on, mm -hmm. you know, subjective questions. So I had to tweak the question a little. So in the end, I asked it to help me write a short story about the world's funniest joke. Um, okay. And this is the answer I got. Uh, once upon a time, there was a man who loved telling jokes. His name could have been Matt. He thought he had finally found the world's funniest joke. But when he told it to his friends, they didn't even crack a smile. Yes, his name is Matt. Uh, disheartened, he asked a random passerby if they wanted to hear a joke. My God, this really is me. Um, the passerby replied, sure, I could use a good laugh. The man told the joke and the passerby burst out laughing. What was the joke? Why don't scientists trust atoms? Because they make up everything. Oh, good Lord. I, according to ChatGPT, that is the world's funniest joke. Well, that's a story about the world's funniest joke. So I'm huh. assuming that that happens to be the world's funniest joke. Um, and then I asked it to imagine being an eagle, which again, it refused to do unless I asked it to help me write a story about being an eagle. Now, why would you do that? Well, after that last joke, wouldn't you prefer to be an eagle rather than listen to this nonsense? <laughs> no, I probably would. Um, do you want me to uh, tell the story? Yeah, please. Yeah, please do it, yes. Okay, uh, I'll condense it a little bit. Uh, as an eagle, I am the king of the skies. I saw effortlessly through the air, feeling the rush of wind beneath my wings. Living as an eagle is a life of freedom, adventure, and constant challenges. But there's nothing more exhilarating than flying high in the sky, feeling the sun on my wings, and knowing that I am a true master of the skies. But what does that tell us exactly? It actually tells us quite a lot. Um, whimsy apart, which is obviously my whimsy, not the machine's, because the machine is just trying to reflect the whimsy that I was asking for. Anyway, that's all meta nonsense. Um, this is a, a huge shift towards answering the question. Um, it's a huge shift towards telling me who does the best fish and chips in KL. Um, you know, uh, it can tell me why is the color blue calming? Mm. Where do the odd socks go? Or actual important questions like, how do I add multiple columns to a spreadsheet with one click? Now, 
I know I'm making things difficult on Richard today because I'm asking a lot of questions and it's difficult for him to know which are rhetorical and where he's supposed to actually come in and answer. Um, I was actually hoping he'd tell me why blue is calming. Um, But then I think I probably short-circuited him with the the socks. Um, The the, the socks, it short-circuits most people. If you're ever in a meeting or a presentation and it's going really badly, just ask everyone in the room where all the odd socks go. It's an old question, but it's still one that bugs all of us. And as everyone's eyes glaze over and they think about it, that buys you enough time to run out of the room and pretend that the last few minutes never happened. Now, whilst we're on that note, and before we do move on, um, I did quickly hop into ChatGPT uh, and I said, please imagine that you are a comedian and tell me the world's funniest joke. And do you know what it said? No. Why don't scientists trust atoms? <laughs> See, um, there's something there's something about that joke or the person who programmed that machine. Anyway, yes. Now, now back to what we're talking about. Um, do you think that this is you trying to make a point about the machines, the, about machines producing nonsensical answers? It, it wasn't, but we'll touch on that a little bit later. So, thank you for for bringing that up. Um, this is more about the changes that the machines are going to make to search. Right. Instead of a list of links, search engines will give you an answer, an answer to your question. Mm. And this is where you get this overlap with content and content production as well, because that AI will be pulling from a lot um, a lot of different sources or perhaps all of those sources that it would normally link to to generate that answer for you on the spot. For example, you might ask it to tell you the latest news on what's happening in Ukraine. So rather than sending you to, you know, the latest news item on what's happening there, it would generate a paragraph answering your question on the spot. You Mm -hmm. know, question and answer. That's basically what we've always wanted search to be. Right. And and this is where you get that overlap with voice-based computing then? Yeah, because a lot of the same companies involved in search also provide digital assistants that are voice-based. Mm. And traditional search, that list of links, it really it doesn't work well in mm-hmm. the voice medium. Voice requires that question and answer relationship. We don't have the patience for anything else. You know, otherwise every attempt at asking Siri a question would be like listening to this show. It would be long <laughs> meandering and it would take just as long. So, and occasionally funny. Yeah. Um, well, no, Siri might be funny. I'm talking about this show. Uh, AI-powered chatbots allow these companies to to go beyond the screen and provide you with a quick answer to a quick question. Where are the best fish and chips in a three-kilometer radius from where I am? Bing, set me a course to the fish catech, and you're done. <laughs> so this is where we see the overlap between search and content. Yeah, because search is no longer the place you go for an index of answers. Search becomes content. Search and content Mm. became one and the same thing. So Mm. if we look beyond uh, chatbots for a moment, we don't just go to a search engine for text. We also ask it to link us to videos, images, to take us to songs. And I think this is the, the crucial thing. Currently, search is a gateway. It's kind of a waypoint. You ask the question, Mm -hmm. then it gives you the options, and then you go somewhere else to find the answer. 
machine generation turns search into the endpoint. Want to see a picture of BTS playing against Niagara Falls? No problem. Um, just like Midjourney, Dali, and the other image generators, the search engine will create that for you. Mm. Sure, you can see an index of actual images of BTS, but how interesting will that be once you can ask the search engine to create something to your exact specifications? Want to see Joy Division and Miley Cyrus playing together at the Great Wall of China? Not a problem. So it becomes, you know, the waypoint is now the destination. So creating news content, recipes, making deep fakes of you with your favorite celebrity, perhaps even creating content for you on demand. Well, not perhaps, definitely creating content for you on demand. Um, you know, one of the early uses of ChatGPT was people using it to create scripts or story ideas, both for original projects and for existing shows. So for example, don't like the final season of Game of Thrones? Well, let Google rewrite it for you and then create that into some video. Right. Want to listen to Blackpink? Well, you know, we can do that, but why not listen to these machine-generated tracks in the style of the band and all your favorites while you continue your searches? Mm -hmm. So, yes, this part may be a little bit further into the future and it's going to create all kinds of copyright issues, but those issues exist in the world of paper litigation and courts. The technology is already in the world of public access. When we come back, it sounds expensive. And who's going to be paying for all of this? Okay, you are tuned into Matt's Plane. We will be back in just a few minutes here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Matt's Plane. I'm Rich Bradbury. We are talking about AI and the future of search today. And so far, it's been broadly more challenging. Oh, sorry. Oi! <laughs> I think Richard means interesting. All right. Uh, so, sorry, I meant interesting. Uh, that most of us might have imagined. Um, we know from comments by um, OpenAI, ChatGPT owners, uh, that generative search is expensive. Um, each query costs the company a few cents. Um, current search is largely ad-funded. But And can those um, existing advertising models cover those costs, Matt? Well, yeah, exactly as you said, you know, depending on what kind of query you ask, there's quite a heavy load on the AI servers to deliver your answer. Mm. So I'm sure that in time, there'll be a certain degree of aggregation. A lot of search queries are very similar. As you just pointed out, when you tried to find the, the world's funniest joke, we both got probably the world's least funny joke um, and the same least funny joke. So once the AI has created that query once or a few times, it will probably be able to recycle either entire answers or 
a lot of that content. So, for example, in order to get that passage about the eagle, I had to phrase the question in a few different ways. Mm. But a lot of the actual content it produced was the same or very similar in all three answers, you know, powerful mm -hmm. wings, strong talons, you know, a lot of phrases repeated. But it's still generally a lot more processing power than an ordinary search. Um, you know, Richard Bradbury in a Hawaiian shirt with frog's legs sitting under a beach umbrella on an ice floe, that kind of crazy doesn't come free. Somebody is going to have to pay for it. And I think that's where the problem comes in. That was very specific, Matt. Um, and is this, though, then because nobody wants to pay for that weird, warped, deep fake version of me? Um, yes, and actually Midjourney didn't want to create it. I did I'm try, but it just refused to give me uh, frog's legs and a human head, no matter what I did. So I need to delve a little bit harder. Um, but the way most current search works is that advertisers pay to be the destination. Um, but of course, as we said, in the AI-assisted version of search, the search is the destination. It right. wants to be a closed loop. It doesn't want to take you outside to that third-party site. Um, look at the digital assistants we have. Mm. Most of them include the ability to contact your friends and family, whether video or message. You know, you can even share photos and content because they, by design, want to be a closed loop. It mm. is the new social. And that does present a problem when we look at advertiser-funded search, or mm -hmm. at least the model requires, you know, a tweak or two. So to that point of will existing advertising revenue be enough? Well, you know, admittedly, this is speculation, but I can't imagine it will. The mm. search itself is now more expensive to operate, and it's designed not to pass you on to third-party sites, not to mention that in order to have that search, you may be paying all sorts of expensive licenses for the content that gets mashed up into your AI-generated responses. Do you mean subscription? Well, ChatGPT already has a subscription tier in addition to the free service. Um, as we both know, Midjourney's image generation is a subscription beta. Um, you know, I've been banging on about paying for content for years, and AI may actually be that tipping point that forces us to, mm -hmm. not because we want to, but because we start to value the convenience. So it might only be a handful of uh, people at first, a very small percentage, but the more it becomes ubiquitous, the more people will feel the pressure to pay, especially if the tech giants keep the payments quite low to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, take mid-journey, and I think both of us have probably experienced this. You know, you get your monthly allocation of generations, but it always runs out when you absolutely need to use it. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, most of the month you spend generating pictures of your friends with frog's legs, but the one time you actually need an image for a presentation or something, you're done. So you're mm. forced to top up or move to a more expensive plan. Again, speculation, but I think that will probably be how search goes as well. There'll be a really affordable entry point, but most of us will end up using our server time up really fast, 
and then buying more. Um, you know, you can look at the, the kind of parallel with um, data plans and mobile phones. You know, data costs on mobile devices have gotten so low that even on pay as you go, you're more likely to run out of call credit than you are to run out of data. And, you know, he who even uses up their call credit in 2023? Yeah. Uh- Presumably then, advertising will still be integrated into this new search ecosystem. Well, yes, but it's likely to be geared far more towards services that can be accessed without leaving the engine or it will be you know, integrated directly into it. There's also that potential to uh, direct people towards sources that are also owned or associated to the search platform. So whether it's news or e-commerce or whatever. Now, we've already seen the European Union come down quite heavily on tech companies that it perceives to be acting anti-competitively by favoring their own partners at the expense of third parties, uh, especially as Mm. those third parties are still paying for their search position. Mm. Um, But again, that's more tangential to today's discussion. But what's more interesting, I think, are the potential knock-on effects of this change uh, in business model. Uh, Let me do that again. What's more interesting are the potential knock-on effects of this change in business model, uh, some of which were also mentioned in a New Scientist piece about this topic, so links in the podcast description as usual. So when we research for products and services, yes, we get relayed to business websites, we get relayed to e-commerce platforms. Um, When we search for news and information, we're typically directed to content generating sites, which in turn use advertising to fund their business. And that advertising in turn is produced by commercial agencies. Just how big of a shock are we talking about? Well, like I said, at the moment, this is all at the supposition stage. So we already know that... um, these AI chat machines have the potential to generate the wrong answers because, you know, they work on statistical probability. So they'll look at their data set and think this is likely to be the correct answer, which is why we've seen the uh, embarrassing specter of uh, these AI chatbots getting the wrong answers for companies like Google in live demos, Um, you know, answers that can take millions of dollars off the stock price of the company. But part of that is down to our expectations. It's our expectations of the machines and the way they work that's really at fault. This is still very young technology. Um, but again, this is you know tangential. For now, most of the big players will probably form licensing arrangements with partners like news agencies to create this content that has the best chance of accuracy. Mm. But if we do see a reduction in traffic to content sites as a result of the changes, those sites may also be forced to move away from the advertising-funded model to a subscription-based one. Mm -hmm. And that will almost invariably involve some of them scaling down their operations and focusing on the most profitable niches within their operation. Do you think there'll be pressure from them to adopt AI-based writing tools? Um, For them, rather. Do you think there'll be pressure for them to adopt uh, AI-based writing tools? Well, this this is where it becomes, you know, there's that danger of it becoming a a kind of a a circular argument. You know, we've mentioned on the show before that sites like CNET had experimented with tools like ChatGPT and those issues of factual accuracy come up again. 
the chatbots need accurate information to access to base their search generated results on. If that content is generated, um, it, you know, if you go to a content site and they're using uh, chat GPT, they're using the exact same neural networks, then we could be in this situation where everyone is creating from nowhere this content based on the same pool of information. Mm -hmm. So we could get to this point where the truth is simply lost or becomes irrelevant and right. where the whole sort of model starts to fall apart anyway. So it's not really in anyone's long-term interest to create a system that functions like that. Now, that's not to say that they're not going to do it because short-term profits have a habit of trumping long-term objectivity and planning. Um, yeah. Take it from someone who works as a professional strategist. Uh, but it could also have a major impact on the advertising industry. If there are fewer content generating sites or sites that are no longer reliant on advertising, that then takes business away from the advertising industry as well, because their job yeah. is to create the ads that sit in multiple formats on all those different platforms. And then you see this concentration of advertising power around existing social and search sites has already fundamentally changed the ad industry over the last sort of 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. So this could be yet another shock, especially when those same AI tools can be used by the people that were formerly their clients who now want to use those tools to design their own ads and copy. Do you imagine a world where machines are simply copying and co-opting content created by other machines? I mean, as we kind of touched on, I think there will be an element of that, but I think we'll see the limits of it fairly quickly. So uh, I mentioned, you know, sites like CNET and other journalism sites, seeing how they can use these tools. Uh, you shared an example of a, a, new, a new service that can automate radio stations down to news broadcasts created and voiced by AI. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that threatens to replace Richard with a genuine Brad bot, not the one that we <laughs> create for our occasional fun shows. But I think we'll push up against the novelty and the limits of all these services quite quickly. Um, for example, you know, when we talked about the Eagle story, when we talked about the world's funniest jokes, each of the generations I made was very similar. It's like the the Wizard of Oz. You know, once you see behind the curtain, you stop being impressed by the result. And it actually starts to irritate and grate on you, which mm. isn't to say that these systems won't iterate and they're not going to improve. Obviously, they will. But as we've said in a lot of previous shows, these are tools. They're not actually solutions. Mm -hmm. Once everyone starts to use these sources to generate content, whether it's text, voice, music, video images, whatever, things will start to get very samey. We'll start to homogenize the output. We'll see the same words and phrases over and over again. We'll see the same not quite human videos and images. Um, the music will probably sound pretty much the same, but that's just me being an old man about it. Um, you know, I don't think we're looking at the end of the human hand when it comes to generating and creating content, but probably it means fewer human hands because we'll now be assisted by the machines. You know, when we go back to, you know, maybe the year 2000, the original version of search fundamentally changed how we use the internet. Right. By indexing sites, 
it gave us access to a lot more sources than the handful of websites that we knew about. So the changes from this new generation of AI-powered search, I don't think they're going to be any less seismic, and they're probably going to be a lot more far-reaching. Lovely. Um, well, thanks for that, Matt, this week. I thank you so much for your... <laughs> I, I still don't know if Richard's doing a robot or he's <laughs> or, or that's how he thinks I talk. I'm getting very worried. I genuinely tried to get it to, uh, whilst you were talking there as well, I was trying to get it to regenerate uh, an even funnier joke. And sadly, it just keeps going around and around in circles. Well, when I, when I asked it um, originally to tell me the world's funniest joke, it said it wouldn't, but a lot of people consider why does the chicken cross the road to it, it, be the epitome of humour. The irony of that is I've just hit it and it has spat out that very exact joke. Why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? And it says, whilst it may seem simple and straightforward, the joke's unexpected punchline often catches people off guard and can lead to a good old chuckle. Of course, humour is subjective. Exactly. <laughs> and as everyone knows, the world's funniest joke is, how do you know when an elephant's been in your fridge? That's because there are footprints in the butter. There you go. If any of you are still alive after laughing from that one, let us know. And that wraps this week's show. Uh, Matt, where can people find out more information about the content that you deliver and what's on this show? They can go to the Culture Pop Substack, just put it into Bing or Google, and it'll take you to the blog. There you go. And if you, of course, if you miss any part of this show, uh, you can download the podcast wherever you normally get it from. We recommend you use the BFM app. It is available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. For BFM 89.9, I'm Rich Bradbury. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.